welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. And this is going to be part two of hopefully what will be a three-part series with Jake Miller. We completed these two uh, interviews on one day, and I've been trying to get back with Jake ever since then to finish up his third part of this story. And I know he's very busy, but Jake, if you're listening, let's try to arrange to finish up this series of, of your adventure, your big adventure. Before we get to that, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. Before we get on to this episode, let me thank you for listening. And if you want to support the podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon at Patreon.com backslash medsailor. Also, if you have thoughts or suggestions for the podcast, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. And if you really want to do me a favor, go in and write a review in iTunes on the podcast. I haven't had a new review since uh, December, so I would really appreciate it. Okay, let's get on to the second part of my interview with Jake Miller on his adventure sailing the Croatian coast. All right, I'm back with Jake Miller, and this is part two of his adventure sailing in Croatia. Now, was this 2016, 2015 we're talking about, Jake? Which? No, 2017. Oh, 2017, so just this last summer then. Okay. Yeah. So the last time we talked, you just arrived in Mali Losinj, Losinje, or however you want to pronounce it, <laughs> and you pulled yeah, into this uh, harbor on Krivika, I think is it, is it. And I've been into that harbor. And it's got good holding, but it's always crowded. So you talked in the last episode about how your communication skills were improving. And this was the first time you took a long line ashore. So I'll let you continue with the story there. Yeah, sure. So long lining is a definite skill within itself. And it's, it's not something that we practice in our sailing course. It's not something we practiced at home on our own yacht. I think I'd watched a few YouTube videos on, on how it was meant to work in theory. But in practice, when you have a 20-knot side wind coming in, uh, a lot of other yachts, and it was getting pretty late at this stage. It was probably about 45 minutes to an hour left of light in the day. So we, it was no other spots that we were going to be able to go through from here. So we sailed in, well, we motored in at this stage, looked around, found our spot, came up with a plan, so you have to drop your anchor out about midway in this harbour and it's pretty deep. Even though it's very 
tight and it doesn't look very wide, the water just drops off. Uh, so you, you drop your anchor down like a, kind of almost like a fishing rod where you're dropping your hook and then you, you reverse back until it hooks into something on, on the bottom and then keep the boat in reverse and then somebody has to jump off very quickly with a long line and then tie yourself up to one of the trees before you start drifting sideways and hitting to one of the other yachts. So we managed to pull this off um, and we were extremely happy with ourselves. And then we watched two or three other yachts come in and try and do the same and they failed miserably. Um, they had no, they didn't even have their ropes pulled out. Well, I shouldn't say ropes, they didn't have their shorelines pulled out. Um, so they were trying to pull in, they were dropping anchor, trying to get everything sorted. The wind was coming in and then they were saying to drift in, hitting other yachts and everyone was out in their tenders trying to push these other yachts into the right spot and hold them there and really saw the yachting community come together. But I think it was also a case of self-preservation where these people just didn't want their own yachts scratched. <laughs> uh, so we felt very proud of ourselves to actually get it right on our first go. How far up um, the bay did you end up going? Uh, we were probably a quarter of the way in. Okay, um, okay. Every other spot was full the entire way in. Yeah. Um, now, were they were they just, anchoring on both sides of the bay or just the one the the uh, the east side of the bay? No, it was on both sides. Okay. Um, so yeah, as you come in the bay, we were on the the northern side just as you get around the point. So it was just in. Uh, far enough to get away from the swell. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people even anchored on the southern side and the swell was coming in and they were moving around all night. So it was getting very crowded around these anchorages. So we didn't want to stay here too long, but we did do some hiking around the southern end of the island and it's a really beautiful island. Um, Mali Lysinges, that was our favourite place along the entire trip. Um, it's been a health resort for the Austrian aristocrats since the 16th century. And they actually believe that the pine trees there can cure all kinds of ailments from asthma to scurvy to everything in between. Okay. So yeah, I hiked down on the trail and there's another little resort far. I'm not, I guess a little bed and breakfast and a restaurant to the bay to the, to the South East and then uh, another open bay, but nothing there. Did you eat at that restaurant or stop at that restaurant on your walk? Yeah, so we went into the restaurant. Uh, we didn't actually eat there at the time, so they hadn't opened for the day. Um, but we went around to that bay, and in that bay there's actually a beautiful big cave that you can swim into. So there's these um, blue water grottos that we kept finding out on our way around Croatia, and there's one within that bay as well. Uh, it's not marked on the maps, but we saw a few other people in there, so we decided to head in there as well. Hmm, I missed it. I didn't know it was there. Okay. Yeah, so, so we'd keep an eye out for the uh, tourist boats, and wherever we saw the tourist boats, there must be something good there to look at. Um, and we saw them all pulling in there and for just, just for the day trip, so we thought, oh, there must be something there. Let's go looking for it. Um, and, yeah, just to, as in that second bay just to the right of that restaurant, um, you can normally see it's, like, etched into the, the cliffs there that go along the water. Yeah, there's I can part see that there's something that's looks really in a bit dark. Abnormal. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So it's, yeah, just in there you can actually swim in, which was fantastic. Um, and the next day, especially early in the morning, everyone else had um, had left. So we had that little bay to ourselves as we were swimming and snorkeling around. Hmm. All right. Except I think there may have been the occasional Croatian or um, nudist, but I think they're actually Croatian. I think they're all the German and Austrian and Hungarian and, and the like. Um, one, one thing to be mindful of when you're sailing through Croatia is everybody is naked. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I had not planned for. Um, 
and yeah so a lot of little bays that you pull into in australia we're very modest i mean europe everyone wears their um speedos as we call them when they go swimming everyone in australia wears board shorts so we like to cover up a fair bit so then to see everyone who was kind of completely naked um really like was very different for us um and we couldn't understand it at first but then we realized throughout croatia there's no laundry mats we could never find a laundry mat every time we were looking for one so we're not sure if they were naked by choice or they just ran out of clothes well i'll tell you the one (laughs) the one laundromat i found when I was in Croatia, was at a nudist colony. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. And I'm serious, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so we end up staying on a few bays around um, Mali Lissinj because we stayed at Mali Lissinj on our way back again as well. So probably won't talk about it again. But we pulled into the main harbour and we, we tied up against the town wall for a day. Uh, on our first way through and then we hired bikes and, and rode around the island and it is beautiful i can see why so many people come there there's lots of caravan parks we also went down to the other island further down at um veli lasinge and mm-hmm. you can see there there's like the vitality hotel and there's a vitality walk that you can go on and as you're walking along they're giving you all recommendations of how to stretch and do yoga and absorb the essence of the island and uh it has a great vibe there. Everyone's very relaxed. And yeah, we were quite, for, for a place to be stormbound and stuck for about a week, we were quite happy to be stuck there. So, Now, where fantastic. were you stuck? Where were you portbound for a week? Was it uh, in Mali Losinj or Veli Losinj? Yeah, we were actually in the main harbor of um, Mali Losinj. Okay, okay. So, That's a nice so harbor. We stayed, that is so pretty in there. It is. Um, so we thought, oh, if we're going to be stuck, we'll, we'll stay here. And not until the weather is exactly clear are we going to head out from here. Um, when you do have a really strong northwesterly, though, you do start getting waves coming down the harbour. So the recommendation is try and stay on one of the southern walls. If like, So you, your stern is to the northern end, mm-hmm. um, if possible. So that way you have a bit of a, a break. We were staying right on the far end of the harbour on the other side and there was one night where the wind was picking up to about 55 knots so we decided to get off the yacht and stay in one of the hotels for the night instead um, which we think was a much better decision Um, so when we came back the next morning we were all happy and refreshed and just had our complimentary breakfast we were watching all the other yachties get out of their boats and they were all very frustrated and angry after having no sleep for the night (laughs) but that was uh, over the eight weeks that, that we were staying on the yacht, that was the only time that we actually stayed in a hotel every other night we stayed on the yacht. Okay, so they had laid moorings at the marina, I guess, you're, you're, you, the, where you stayed at. So you weren't worried about dragging an anchor or anything? Um, no, we were actually we were tied up at the marina. So, okay. we were, so yeah, we were, we were tied right in there. Um, I think that place was, oh, I can flick to the price. Um, from memory, it was around 40 euro a night for what we were paying. Okay. Um, which wasn't too bad. And this was to the very end of the, the tourist season as well. So what, uh, is this in uh, in August or September we're talking about? Um, this is probably getting yeah, to mid-September okay. back at this stage. Okay. Um, so jumping around a little bit. But yeah, we, we stayed up. We went up to, so on, on our travels north, we went up to Kunski. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to be very careful in how I pronounce that. Um and it's a very big open bay. You have no protection from the south, but it is very shallow. Um, 
when you look at it on Google Maps, there are quite a few yachts peppered around. But when we went in there, it was full. There was hundreds of yachts in there um, and a lot of big super yachts who all had their jet skis and toys and they were flying around and, and having a great time, um, which didn't leave to pleasant conditions for us. So we only stayed there for the night before heading further, further north again. Um, and some of these little spots on the Lasinge Island and going up onto the Cress Island, there's a lot of little bays you can pull into. And we found that we were generally the only yacht that, or maybe two or three other yachts that were there. So a lot of people were hiring or chartering yachts and starting around Mali Lasinge and heading south. Uh, there wasn't a lot of people heading north. Um, and we found that going into these islands, uh, going up along like the, these Lasinge bays, there were some great little spots in there. A lot, lot more... Um, little blue grottos and st- and caves that we could go swimming in. So as we we're going along, we we're looking for the tourist boats that were leaving from Mali Lasinge for the day as well. Okay, so I'm looking at your uh, your next uh, your next anchorage in Ustrin, U-S-T-R-I-N-E, Ustrin. And I yeah. stayed in that bay. And the night I stayed in the bay, when I first got there, the winds were screaming out of the north just screaming out of the north so we pulled up into that bay as far as we could get and dropped our anchor and and it was still a little bumpy but we were as far as close to shore as we could get middle of the night the wind switches around 180 degrees and comes screaming out of the south and so we motored all the way down to the other end of the bay and dropped our anchor (laughs) there and then uh, i think i think uh yeah then we stayed there the rest of the night and then the next morning it switched around again so we well, we were out of there the next morning, but I had to go back and forth on that that uh, that bay a couple times. So, oh, I guess we we, we both had our own dramas there. So, <laughs> yeah, um, it it is a beautiful location because you have these huge mountains that come straight up out of the water. Um, it was one of the most scenic places that we did stay, and we long lined ourselves over to the cliffs to pull up so we we're pretty secure in where we were and luckily for us there was no no wind actually remember the next morning there was some confusion around the dump tank and around which way the handle actually goes and if you had to if it, so the argument between my wife and I was she would say is the handle up or down and I would say is it perpendicular or is it parallel because the handle goes on both sides um Either way, it went the wrong way, and there was zero wind, and some the tank got emptied when it shouldn't have, and somebody had to jump in the water to untie the long lines. So <laughs> <laughs> um, that ended up being me. <laughs> I think this was our first real fight on the trip. So <laughs> I remember we, we, we pulled out of, of there. I went straight into the main bay. I jumped off and I, I washed shampooed as much as possible, but yeah, I don't think we talked for the rest of the day after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, saying to be very clear and clever on it's around um, which way that handle goes. So my, my tips and new sailors right there. <laughs> so from there, that, yeah, it was a beautiful spot. Um, where we were tied into the cliffs, there was actually an old tuna factory. Um, that stopped running over about 100 years ago. And you could even still see where they had made their, like where the factory was etched into the cliff. And it was the water so deep there that they used that as their natural harbour where they could just pull in and tie into and tie their boats up, process the fish. And then, but now there's just no fish left in the bed, unfortunately. Um, 
which we found out the hard way. So at this stage, I'd, I'd bought a, a fishing line on our first day and I'd been towing it behind our boat every single day. And it wasn't probably for another week after this that I caught my first fish. So uh, we, I, I think I fished for three weeks straight trolling behind our yacht before I got my first bite. And as soon as I was reeling it in, this big sea eagle came in and grabbed my fish and stole it. So I was heartbroken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like uh, the fishing you do around Australia. I, I pretty much gave up fishing in the Mediterranean. It's not, yeah, it's too much work for the for the reward I found. Oh, definitely. Is. I, I love spearfishing. It's one of my hobbies. And I thought I'd be able to do that while I was over there. But there is, I, I, I reckon I could probably count the number of decent fish I saw on one hand. When we're in Mali Lesinge, they're about to host the World Championships for spearfishing there the, the following week. And I, it was just mind-blowing to me. I was like, there's no fish here. I, whoever catches one fish will win, and it will probably be like a blowfish or something of those lines. Like Whoever gets the blowfish, they will win the competition. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so from, from there, we headed a bit further north. We went up to uh, Beach Nava. This was an interesting experience. So... We used the book 777 Harbours and we used this like our Bible. And if that said not to anchor somewhere, I encourage you just trust the book. Do not anchor there. It'll be a rocky bottom and you'll have a terrible night's sleep. Um, this bay here told us don't stay in the bay because it's overly crowded and there's too many other yachts and you won't get any sleep. Uh, we got there and there wasn't one other yacht in the entire bay. So we thought, oh, this is fantastic. We've managed to fluke it. Um, nobody else is staying here. No one's staying there. There's generally a good reason. Um, at the end of the bay, there's like a olive tree grotto. And in Australia, we call them bush doofs um, when people have these like three or four day long rave parties and they all sleep and camp there and have a lot of fun. And that's what they was happening at the end of, of this bay. So we, we pulled in as the only yacht and long lined off to shore and we're all happy. It's a beautiful bay. And there's a lot of people at the end of the bay sunbathing and relaxing, which we thought would just hiked over from Chris. Um, but then the music kicked up and it was, they had full generators and the biggest sound system that was enough for a stadium concert. And it went to about 5am in the morning before they all tuck it out. Um, and where we were at that stage, we didn't really want to pull out at nighttime and try and find another location. A lot of the, uh, it was fairly windy coming from the North and a lot of swell coming through. So we didn't really trust ourselves to find another spot. So we thought we'd, persevere through um but yeah that was 777 harbors was exactly right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i looked at that and i thought okay i've never stayed there i always went right around into the town and actually i uh i wintered my boat in that marina around the corner one year so there's a yeah nice... so the, the town of town of crest is beautiful um we, we absolutely love it so we went around to the town the next day and we we hanged out in the town for the, the full day before heading off to our next spot um and yeah, there was good. There's actually good anchoring in the town, which I didn't realise as well. So we anchored just to the south of where the main docks are. You can see a few boats mm -hmm. um, are in there. So we we just dropped anchor and then took the tender ashore and and went around town for the entire day. Went to a few nice restaurants and got some nice touristy gifts for ourselves. It was about 40 degrees that day, so it was hot, but it was. We, we absolutely loved Cressa. That's one of the places I wish I'd stayed a bit longer at. Yeah, I think it's a delightful little town. And uh, like, I, you know, like I say, I wintered at that ACI Marina there, so I was there f several times. And I know when I talked to Jack, when I interviewed Jack about it, 
He's he uh, spent a lot of time drinking some wine in that town as well. <laughs> well, I think it was from your previous podcast. I actually marked it down because you yourself and Jack had talked so highly of it that I, I marked it as a favorite place that I need to go and see. Um, and I was quite happy because originally I, I didn't really want I didn't want to go that far north in towards that area of Croatia because you can get caught out with the borers through there. So I was, that was one of the reasons that when I planned my trip, I was staying out those outer islands through Malila Singe. So even when you zoom out on Google Maps, you can see just the, the rock coming out on some of the islands where there's no trees growing and that those are the areas that get hit the hardest by the borer winds that come through. So I was a bit cautious going in as far as Crest because I didn't want to get caught out in any of those winds. And I was trying to be as careful as I was. But being a novice sailor, I was pretty aware that my, my skills weren't there. Um, so I wanted to play it as safe as possible. So from Crest, we headed further east out to Medulin. And this is a big bay. Um, and we pulled right into the heart of the bay. It's very muddy bottom in about three metres of water. It's a perfect holding. If you ever need to hold out a storm, I do recommend going in there. Um, and Medulin is another big tourist town so when we were there there was a big theme park out on one of the points um there was thousands and thousands of tourists all staying there it's a very big family location so a lot of parties going along a huge number of pubs and clubs and everything else to go to some nice restaurants and yeah we had a ball staying at Medellin. yeah i stayed at palmer i never got over to where you anchored but i always stayed just across the way at palmer uh when, and stayed in the marina i actually had to change cruiser so i went in there tied up my boat and drove up to uh zagreb to pick some people up and then drove back down okay yeah actually got there's a nice place through there at the very end of that you'll see that big long just as you're coming up to that uh, that long peninsula that stretches down i anchored in that one deep bay there on that peninsula and and, uh got blown out in the morning and some the boars started blowing in there and i I was by myself, and I had to get up and go up to Palmer and uh, back in by myself up there. So that was that was a that was pretty exposed in that bay. It looks great, but it's, you're, where you're at is much better holding. So that's a good spot to yeah, go to. Yeah, it was a very muddy, muddy bottom in there. So yeah, there was a lot of the anchorages around Croatia are heavily rocky bottoms. So this was the one that was I felt quite safe in being on the anchor. So from there, we, we went up around to Pula, and we had to stay in Pula for a few days to, to wait out another big storm that was coming through. Uh, I think the winds got up to about 50-odd knots again coming coming through, um, and we stayed in the main marina. So this was a ACI marina. Mm-hmm. ACI marinas is code for not a cheap marina. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was clear. <laughs> um, but it was like staying in a five-star hotel. The facilities they actually had in there were – second to none in terms of how clean it was and it was you got what you paid for um in the end but and where we were it's a beautiful spot in the marina there because you have the the big amphitheater which is like a big coliseum the roman style so all of this area along this i think it's called the istrian coast of croatia was all roman settled for thousands of years so this part is heavily Roman influenced in terms of their architecture. So the, the big Colosseum that's still very well structured and built was just behind us. Um, and there was a few big stars coming and doing their concerts there for the night um, that we could overhear and watch as you walked around the edge as well. 
I'm trying to think. I think I stayed in Pula, but I, I, I don't remember staying at ACI Marina. Is there a place to anchor in that bay or not? Or am I, am I forgetting this? So when so we booked into the ACI Marina, and when we read 777 Harbours, they said no. And when we looked at all of our nav charts, they all said, no, you know where to anchor. But then every night we saw boats anchored out there. Okay, um, yeah. That, that's so. what I saw. I saw all these boats anchored. I said, well, if they're anchored, I can anchor too. So I went over and anchored near the other boats. So, Yeah, so that, that was my theory in the end. At first we tried to listen to our, our maps and, and follow what was the right advice, but then we went by the guides after a while. As if other people are doing it, we'll do it too. If someone comes along and tells us to move, then we'll move. Um, but it's kind of the we'll, we'll play it out until we're told not to. So. Yeah, staying in the ACI Marina was was a good spot. It did get very very windy, so I'm happy I wasn't on the the anchor for those few days, and it was extremely extremely hot um, for those days as well. So we end up going doing there's a, a tunnel tour where they build all these tunnels um, underneath the main town there for World War Two, and there's kilometres of tunnels. And then when you, as soon as you go in the tunnel, they're only 17 degrees. So they're wonderful and cool. So if you ever get stuck in Pula and it's hot, I recommend doing the tunnel tour. It's the only place that's free air conditioning. Nowhere else has air conditioning in the town. Um, but, yeah, we, we hanged around in those tunnels much longer than what we needed to. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like when I went to Spain, I'd go into the department stores and walk around and pretend I was shopping to get out of the heat. <laughs> you have to. You have to find something. But, yeah, um, Parts of Puller as well are very interesting. So I think they had the big submarine bases there and there was a, a naval base that's just on the northern side of the, the harbour which had been deserted. Um, it was very eerie to go. So we, I sailed into there and there was a couple of boats that had been sunk in there and just the tops of the boats were sticking out out of the water. So I was lucky I could actually see them. So I very quickly reversed and, and came out before there was other obstacles under the water there that I couldn't see. And, yeah, these huge big factories that had been shut down and they were all graffitied and it was very interesting and there was a lot of people in there taking pictures and um but it would be a perfect place to set up a harbor um that's over on like the otok katarina um side of it but unfortunately it wasn't utilized very well yeah so then you head up to rovenjay as a gay rovenjay i always throw i always pronounce the j because i don't know how do you pronounce the j at the end of all of a word, right? Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we call this revenge. Okay. Um, right. Well, almost like revenge. Um, and it did get revenge on us. Um, so as we came up, like, so we just stayed in Pula for the, a few nights to avoid the storms. And we went up a, into Lone Bay where there's a mooring field. And a few of the moorings had actually snapped. And one of the yachts had drifted onto the rock and had a big hole put in it. So we tied up to one of the mooring boys, but we were very sceptical after seeing that only the previous night some of those mooring boys had snapped. Um, so I was diving that and checking it to make sure that ours was all okay. But there's a huge number of ferries that go in and out from here. So you're constantly getting wakes. Um, it's not a nice place to be staying. So we stayed there for the night, and then we went further up and stayed at the next bay, which I think I've got marked down as well. Um, but that was 777 Harbours warned me again, do not park here, it's terrible holding. And the entire night, I think I had to get up three or four times to reset the anchor. And you know it's terrible holding when you, we all got getting up at 
as soon as daylight hit, every other yacht that was anchored there were also pulling up their anchors and, and leaving as well. So by, I think, 4.35 a.m. in the morning, everyone was out of there. I'd had enough of it. Um, but we stayed in Revenge for probably a couple of days between the mooring field and the other side, and it is a beautiful little town. It's very historic, um, beautiful cobblestone ro- roads going through, um, a lot of old churches. It's Yeah, it's very, very scenic. You can see why so many people are there. If you go down to the harbour just on the south side of Revenge as well, um, you can see where all the little fishing boats are in there and they're five and six and seven boats deep, um, bow to stern. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in, in amongst that area, it's very, very pretty, very scenic, um, beautiful church on top of the hill. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend going through there. Um, I don't recommend anchoring there or staying on the mooring fields, though. <laughs> Yeah, and another. I think there's another ACI marina that you could have stayed at. So, yeah. Well, uh, my, my my budget was a little bit tight after staying at the last ACI marina. I think it was quite yeah, eighty to ninety euro a day to in most ACI marinas for our thirty five foot boat. Yeah. So, you know, so it's getting a bit pricey. Um, so yeah, from Revenge we headed north. I think we actually stayed in a few of the bays on the way up. Uh, after having no sleep, we we found some slots to pull in. And at this point, you're no longer sheltered by any of the islands when you're you're up here. So we had large-ish swells coming through, but they were always from our tail. So we were surfing the, the, the waves on the way up to Umag or Umag, however you want to pronounce it, and then pulled in there before we checked out. So we stayed in Umag. Um, it's not a lot to say about Umag. We stayed on there on the way through twice. Um not a very interesting town from from my perspective. And I went um, right by it. I never went into it, so I, it's not one I'm familiar with. No, we, the only reason we went in there was it was meant to have easy access to the port authority. So we had to go through and, and get our stuff stamped so that we could head across to to Italy. So this is where the story gets fun. Um, so we left Umag at about eight thirty. So, so, so you you passed up the. Uh, uh, I'm looking, trying to look for it. The. Uh... The big nudist. Oh, there you are. You did. You you passed up the, the where the laundromat was, which is down where the nudist <laughs> colony is, down up down just uh, where that big river goes up up inside the uh, country up by, above Saline. S A L I. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's where you can find a laundromat. That's the only one I found in Croatia <laughs> too. I swear, I'm going to open up ten laundromats in Croatia. I'm going to be a very rich man. I'm just going to appeal it to all the sailors. <laughs> Yeah, so from, from UMAG, we decided to, we're going to sail straight across. We're going to head exactly west, straight across to Venice, and it would be about eight hours. We looked at four different weather forecasts for the day. Um, we looked at all the different apps. We followed up with the Croatian Weather Authority and also the Italian. So an eight-hour crossing for a day, and we're never really that far away from sea, but we're, I think the maximum predicted wind speed was five knots on any chart. So we took off at about 8.30 in the morning and then we headed straight across and I think I even took some videos on my phone as I was going across showing how flat the water was. And I was like, oh, this is what's, what crossings are like and sea crossings. This isn't too bad at all. Um, and this was until we got about six or seven nautical miles off Venice. So we, we could see it. It was in sight. But unfortunately, also in sight it was the biggest shelf cloud I've ever seen in my life that was approaching from the south and it was ginormous. There was no way to, to run from it. 
I quickly ran downstairs and rechecked all the, the weather apps and checked to see if there was any warnings or anything else. Um, I was saying no, so I thought, well, there's a big cloud coming. Probably going to hit by a bit of a squall at the start, and then it will die off and we'll go from there. So we went from five knots. As soon as it hit us, it hit us at 70 knots. So that was the maximum recorded wind speed so, on, uh, on my wind vane. So what, what, when was this? What date was this? Because I was over uh, there at the same time. It was. Flick through my book. Um, so this was the 10th of August. Of August. Okay, so not, not in yep. September yet. Okay, so I didn't get to uh, no, no. Croatia until September, so that's okay. All right. Yeah, so this was on, on the 10th of August. Um, so we were out. We're about between 6 and 10 nautical miles off the coast at this stage. Uh, so we could see land. It was, it was coming in. We are kind of following the coast, which was on our starboard side. And, yeah, this big shelf cloud came in. And we expected... I could see the the water the, the rain just pelting down within it. It was it went from the edge of the ocean up until like it just looked like this wall that was coming straight towards us and there was nowhere to go. So on the north end of that um, Italian coast, you got sandy beaches and very few marinas and very few places to pull in. There's no islands to to hide behind. And being only about six nautical miles or so from Venice, we thought, well, let's just keep heading towards that. We're going to get hit by a bit of a squall and We'll see how it goes. As I mentioned just earlier, it went from five knots to 70 knots as soon as it hit us. Um, luckily, though, because there was so little wind, we didn't have any sails up. But just with it, without even the sails up, it was still enough to completely turn the boat on its side right down until the mast hit the water. Whoa. Um, so yeah. it just hit us like it felt like a crew ship had just hit the side of the yacht. Uh, my wife was down below. I was up on deck. Um, it, I almost got thrown over the side of the boat at that stage. I was standing on the side of the boat with my back lying kind of flat against the floor, but trying not to fall any further forward. Um, so I was trying to steer us, but I had no steering because my rudder was out of the water at that stage, or we that far on our side, and we we're just under engine power. So I was trying to then turn the boat into the wind um, every time it dropped off. Um, but then the wind would just come from a different angle and then you'd get flipped to the other side. So it went all of a sudden hit us so quickly that you were getting flipped from one side of the boat to the other. Um, my wife handed me or tried to pass me the, the life jacket with the EPIRB on there. And as I was putting that on, the EPIRB came off and went overboard. So that was now gone. Um, so I was, got my life jacket on, managed to clip myself on and then trying to steer the boat head into the wind. Um, she was strongly encouraging me to come down below, but I wanted to head our way and just get through the squall. In my head at that stage, it was 30 seconds or a couple of minutes of a high wind just as the storm front hit, and then it would die off again. Um, it definitely was not that. It just kept coming and coming, and then I looked behind the boat, and as I looked, it was probably 50 to 100 metres off the back of the boat. I could just see this twister of water spiralling up into the air and that was coming towards us and my, my heart just sank as low as possible at that point I was going well I'm massively over my head in the conditions I am I can't control my vessel I can't set off our EPIRB because that's now over the edge there was that much lightning hitting all around the edge of the boat like there was lightning strikes within 20 and 50 meters of the boat every few seconds it was incredibly loud and, and scary at that point um 
which was then causing all the interference with my GPS. So every time I looked at the navigation, all of my maps were just flashing, looked like something like out of the matrix, all the, the screens were just flashing different colors and different errors were coming up. So I couldn't set the boat on a, a GPS course to head towards and head down below. So the only stage I could really do at that point was just shut off the engines because the boat was leaning that much on its side. It was going to drain the oil out and cook the engine. So ran down below and shut all the areas of the boat up as much as could and get us as watertight as we could be, um, closed all the vents. Um, but still, like we'll, the waves then started picking up and the waves picked up. Remember, when I eventually managed to get out on deck, I could see the waves as high as the the top, um, not the top of the mast, but the top spike. What's the spike that comes out on the side of the mast? I've gone, gone a blank on it. The Yeah, the spreader. So it was as high as the, the top spreader on my um, mast, and that's where we are at. So I estimated the waves were close to about 10 metres high, and they were, were in shallowish water there. The water was between 15 and 20 metres deep. So the waves were very short and sharp. Um, so when we were down below, the waves were crashing over the top of the boat, and the water was starting to come into the boat as well through various different spots so all of our paperwork and everything that we had out was just getting a bit wet so it was making it hard to look at any of that everything that was loose in the cabin was just getting thrown around and turned into like a a violent projectile remember picking up our kettle at the end of this and it was just covered in dents it looked like somebody took to it with a hammer around the edge um which was the same effect that was happening to us. We were just getting thrown from one wall to the other as the boat was just side to the wind and to the waves and getting thrown around. So because it hit us so quickly, we didn't have any time to prepare and being as kind of novice as what we were, we didn't know how we should have prepared. So from all of my research I'd done, if I was going to go into work, a situation like this and I'd heave to being a self-tacking jib, I didn't know how to heave that one too. And, I was probably a good idea not to actually pull the jib out in that case anyway. It would have just been ripped and torn to shreds. Um, and we didn't have any storm sails being a charter yacht or even a drogue to throw out the side. Uh, I think in hindsight, the, on reflecting on it, the only situ- thing I could have probably done is actually just drop the anchor. Um, but I'm not sure if that is the right thing to do. Well, let me um, tell you, I had the same thing happen to me when I sailed across the Atlantic. And I saw this big, ugly black cloud coming at me. And so I prepared for it by heaving to. And yet when it hit me, it did exactly to me what it did to you, or it knocked the boat over 90 degrees. And because uh, and j- even with a small amount of sail up, that was too much sail. So I think the better, if you see something like that, it's better to, to throw some drogue off the front. You know, it doesn't have to be much. It just has to be something to hold your nose into the waves. So anything you can tie in a bundle and throw off the front. I actually had a drogue that I, I eventually deployed during the situation. But but heaving too, that was, for us, our experience was that was just too much wind at the time. And if the wind's at all um, moving around from one direction to the other, you're going to be knocked over over and over and over again. So, yeah, I, I don't know what the best solution is, but for me, if I saw it, I would just have some sort of uh, drogue or just a bunch of, you know, my, I don't know about my... Uh, anchor but i've got extra lines that i probably throw off the front just to give it some resistance uh, to hold the bow into the waves but anyway continue on with your story so good story yes so at this stage we had no navigation uh we had no epurb we were trying to radio to the italian coast guard uh 
because of all the interference with the lightning, it was very hard to get a signal. Like we weren't far offshore. Like we, we should have only been between say six and ten miles away from where their station was, but yet we were struggling to get any communication with each other. I had no control of my vessel at this point, so I wanted to put out a, a pan pan call. Um, water was then starting to come over the top and come through our, our hatches, even though they were locked up tight. It was still making its way in. Um, so then at that stage, I was going, well, I need to actually start putting in a mayday call. Uh, I probably went through our coordinates, I reckon, 40 times, um, trying to explain where we were. And they would try and repeat my approximate location back to me. And they were saying, are you off the coast of France? And I was like, no, I'm on the complete other side of Italy. So we were getting what I was communicating wasn't coming across clearly. My Italian is pathetic to say the least. Um, and uh, there, so there was definitely some language barriers there that made it a real challenge. Um, in the end, I kind of resorted back to what I knew from my sailing course, which was pick a, a landmark and give a coordinate, so a, a bearing and a distance. So I worked that out and gave that to them and said, well, I'm going to, at this stage, the wind had started to drop back off. I think it, it was down to about 50 knots and I could, I could at least get off the back of the boat and get back control. Reset of the electronics, um, started the engine and set a bearing point um, with the autopilot for a, a, an exact point and then kicked that into gear and then went, went back down below again and then radioed what, what course I was heading on and where I was. So when I was about halfway in, I was probably about three nautical miles off from the point of Venice at this point, by the way, where the main harbour is. Um, the huge big Coast Guard ship came out and met with us halfway. Um, at this point, we could actually talk because we were over the radio. There was just we, – we couldn't understand each other. They, they pulled alongside us. We – I had control of the yacht again. We were making good headway and they just followed us in just next to us until we got into the safety of the harbour, which was very, very reassuring for us. So we went through a stage where um, it, was, it was terrifying to be out there, to say the least. Um, how, long it did, was, how long did it last? How Was it an hour, a half uh, hour? Oh, so it was probably out there for about two hours that okay. we were getting thrown around and, and smashed around in this, which... At the time, I didn't know, if is this going to last for 10 minutes or is this going to last for two days? Um, and there was, I was looking, trying to bring it up on my phone, bring up all the weather reports and everything else, but nothing was indicating that there was even a storm there at that time. So I'd, I'd assumed that it was going to be over really quickly. Nobody else was going to be able to come out there and help me in that condition. So it was just, I had to find a way to get into shore. The, the other option I had in my head was just, try and point the boat straight in towards the beach and beach it. Um, and I think the financial cost went through my head briefly and then I thought, well, I don't really don't care how much this costs as long as I can get off this boat safely. Um, and then I remember looking at the newspaper the next day and the same storm that had hit the beach just north of us at some little tourist towns. Unfortunately, a few tourists had actually died from debris and, and trees and things coming down on them. So it was we got out of this, I'd say, very luckily. Um, there was no damage to the yacht. I think the only thing that we lost, we lost a few items that got blown off. Um, but as we pulled our way into the marina in Venice, uh, there was a few other yachts that straggled in at the same time and their sails were torn to shreds. I saw a couple with snapped masts. Um, they'd, they'd, they'd copped it a lot worse than what we had. 
And when we were on the radio, that was one of the dramas trying to communicate through. It was just the panic. You could hear so many people on the radio just crying and just asking for help. So for the emergency services to try and help all the different people, like it's a very, it's a very tough job for what they have to do, trying to keep everyone calm and trying to talk to all the different people, all screaming through, all fearing for their lives all at the same time. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, very traumatic for us. Um, but then as soon as we pulled into the main marina, we pulled into Marina Santalina at the end of Venice, and those guys in there were perfect gentlemen. They, they really helped us. They jumped on our boat, helped drive it in for us. We were pretty beaten up and bruised and sore, and they did everything for us. So I, I really can't thank those guys enough as well. They, they, the storm had hit their marina as well, so they knew exactly what we just came through. And, yeah, they, they, they helped us out and they were very calm and, and thankful. They were saying, don't worry about any paperwork, don't worry about any payments. We'll sort all that all out tomorrow. Just just relax. You've been through enough today. So, no, that, that was a fantastic marina and I'd highly recommend staying there again for anyone. Love the Italians. I love the Italians. <laughs> They're a great, group, a, great, a great group of people. So, Jake, we're going to stop there. I think we've got another, uh, another whole episode coming up. Uh, and I've got an appointment I've got to get to, and you've got to do some work today. So we're going to come back. We're going to arrange another time, so probably next week. Let's get back together again. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's perfectly fine, mate. All right. Thanks, Jake. All right. Thanks, friends. Thank you for listening. Again, if you want to support this podcast, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can buy my audio products at the website, medsailor.com, or you can become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash medsailor. If you have thoughts or suggestions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. I'd like to hear from listeners. I do have a Twitter account, but I don't post very much to the Twitter account, maybe just the episodes that I put out. And Neil, Neil Fletcher, is in charge of my Facebook page. So if you have thoughts or suggestions and you write to Neil, you go to the Facebook page. Neil makes sure that I see those comments, and I usually respond directly when I see comments uh, on the Facebook page. Again, thanks for listening. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.